This is Tabletop Talk. I am your host, Gabe. Uh, I will be interviewing friends or family about their tabletop characters. Uh, my first guest today is Rudy, a writer, Twitch streamer, uh, amateur YouTuber, and very successful DM. Rudy, welcome to my very first podcast. How's it going, Gabe? Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. And uh, you, you have a lot of experience with uh, tabletop RPGs, yeah? I do, actually. Um, quite a few years ago, I started dipping my toes into tabletop RPGs. It actually started with uh, Werewolf, the Apocalypse, and the White Wolf Systems, um, which are vastly different from 5th edition as we know it today, and what our groups play consistently so, yeah, I had, a, I had a very interesting start in the tabletop community. Yeah, and you're, you also write for your own, like, home, homebrew world. Yeah. Which I is a very, a very deep, in-depth world as well, with a lot of... You, you've made your own pantheon, you have your own continents, you have your own history that goes back... Ah, I personally don't know how long, but it seems like it goes back a pretty good ways. Uh, definitely seems that way. I mean, a lot of DMs uh, shortcut it just like I do because unless a player's interested in the history of your world, there's no need to write so much. Uh, there's a lot of good videos and stuff on world building that I used as an example of how to write because when I started, yeah, I definitely, I wrote as much as possible about every minute detail, uh, both historically and like uh, in the recent history of the game that I created, or of this world that I created, and 90% of it was never used or looked at, so it seemed like fruitless effort. Yeah, but it helps really flesh out the world, and I guess you're you're kind of what is coined a, a forever DM. You you DM more far more often than you get to play. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's just um, a consequence of the game, I suppose, because I initiated a lot of the groups that I, that I run, and I have played, uh, I'm fortunate enough that my players have kind of evolved over time and most of them are willing to run a game, which is awesome because that means I do get to play every now and again. But it, when it comes down to it, yeah, it seems year in and year out, I am the, uh, the host to many games. So what is a big difference between writing for an NPC and, I guess, writing for a personal character, like a like an, an, o, an OC? Definitely, I would say... The primary difference is importance, right? Because from the Dungeon Master perspective, you're not writing... All the characters you make are not the main character. You do not make main characters. You make villains, and you make side characters. Excuse me. Had to burp. It's all right. We can cut it out and post. Uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll keep it in. Keep it organic. Uh, maybe. I don't know if they want that kind of organic. That's all natural, man. But yeah, it's definitely the personal, uh, the perspective. Because when you're making a character, you have to make them as the main character. Like you're writing them from the, the, the story is oriented around them. The world's oriented around them. And moving from... Dungeon Master first into player character second makes it even more important that the character is or holds ground in the world. So I feel that the writing process isn't is entirely separate. Okay. So we're going to talk about one of your characters because you've had you've had a through a few throughout your uh, career playing. Yeah, four or five for four, sure. Four or five, definitely. Uh, we're going to bring up one specifically. Uh, his name is Lorengar, uh, and I don't remember what his last name was. It's been quite a while. It has been. It has been, um, but I, I remember Lorengar. Yes. He was definitely... He was a very unique character, in my opinion. He was part of the Curse of Strahd book that was run. Uh, the, uh, very amateur hour, if I do say so myself. <laughs> you were the one that run it. So yeah, it yes, funny. it was very amateur yeah. hour. It was my first time DMing. Right. And I went for more cinematic, cool things than actual mechanical things. It's fine. Mechanics come later. Just have fun. Oh, yeah. And it, it was definitely a good time. So 
let's let's dive into Larengar. We'll start with what I would call the boring stuff. Uh, uh, the race, the class, uh, the character background, you know, just the, the actual mechanics of building the character. Right. So, who and what was Larengar? Uh, Larengar was a high elf wizard with the conjuration. Uh, he took that, that subclass. Uh, his background was, I believe it was Alkalite. Because I, I wanted Larengar to be a very religious character, even though he was more practiced in, in his magical ways. I wanted him to still worship. Uh, because I find characters um, mostly one-dimensional. Because everyone wants to make the wizard that is obsessed with power, which Larengar was. Everyone wants to make the barbarian that's bloodthirsty. But seldom do you get a dynamic character uh, whose motivations aren't directly one way or the other. Okay. And when you made him, you gave him some actual physical and mechanical handicaps. He he had a, a a bum leg. Oh yeah. And he had only one arm. Yes. What was what was the the idea and motivation behind that? I mean, uh, as I'll ask you as a player, why did you do that? And then I'll ask thematically, story-wise, why was that? So, Absol as a player, why was that? Absolutely. Um well, going back to the Dungeon Master thing, as a Dungeon Master, I don't get to play with characters that are that unique or that important to the story. If I make a character that has um, some kind of physical disablement, whether he's crippled or is missing body parts and stuff, normally it's a side point or just something to make the character stand out from the other NPCs that I create. And thus, using that same mentality for the character that I had crafted for the campaign, uh, I just felt it was appropriate. I like characters that are extraordinarily unique in the fact that there's they fit into the world so well that they blend in, right? Because everyone can pick uh, a group of player characters out of a out of a picture very easily because they're, they're all the most unique and insanely uh, bombastic characters. Very, very... Um, very, very outrageous compared to the common folk. A lot of extremes. Yeah. A lot of extremes. So very, wanted, very stereotypical sometimes. Yeah. I wanted Larengar to look like an old grizzled elf, well beyond his years. Um, definitely not a powerful folk. Uh, just wearing classic wizard robes and so uh, basically i wanted people to walk by him and think nothing of him okay so his disablements were to even augment that and just like increase his his uh the opposite of whatever notoriety would be i just didn't want him to be anything special per se yeah you wanted again like you said you want people to pass him and not really take notice yeah the, yeah. the the unassuming. But but in a unique way. Yeah. I didn't want him to be super generic. Um but I wanted him to be unique. Yeah. Uh as for uh I guess story purposes, what exactly were the reasons for his bum leg and the missing arm? Story wise I just I don't think there was that had that has nothing to do with the story. Okay. So I, it was just, just something you kind of threw in there just for, like you said, the unique purposes. Yeah, I just wanted a character that, um, among, among a group of superhuman entities, would be the lowest of the low. You know, people, yeah. people would look at, look at our group. Uh, they would see... Um, One the, of these things the doesn't dwarf, belong. Yeah, the dwarvish... Uh, Fighter. Berserker, yeah, he's absolute maniac, eating eating wood and <laughs> killing things with rocks and stuff. They would see uh, the 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 cleric who's eight feet tall and more of a uh, warrior than a cleric. More of a warrior than a cleric. You know these these giant brooding figures that obviously are they all have the main character thing, and then just see this crippled wizard or this crippled uh, elf kind of trailing behind them. I just thought that was thematic and really cool for the character because I didn't want to play uh, a character who was in the forefront of everything happening. I didn't want to play a character that was like 
always there to address every issue. I wanted to play one that was a little bit towards the back unless it was more political or something yeah. that he could engage in. And and he was very good at, at doing that. I remember instances where you, Larangar, would let other characters take the rein, uh, but if you thought there was something you could do, you would wait for them to finish what they were doing and then do it on your own in kind of a very political way that didn't really affect the group, but still got what you wanted. Yeah. Uh, it's important to, to mention that Lorengar was in fact evil. Yeah, he, he, he was in fact evil. He was, a, he was an evil character, but I think it's important to make the distinction that evil does not mean mess with the party. Lorengar played very friendly with his, with his party. Oh, 100%. He, he, he supported the party, he tried to help them, but he also did things that helped further progress what he wanted. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, a character like that, I can't over overpower the party in any sense. No. So it's not my place to even attempt. And I really wanted to ingrain that in the party. So all of the decision-making that Larengar had participated in were made solely from the bias that he could gain something from it, and then I would advocate for it. And ironically, a character who speaks less is heard more. Yeah, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, because then your words tend to have a lot more weight to them, a little more gravity. Yeah. So, you know, they would they would bicker about which hallway to go down for 20 minutes, and I would just let them do that. Uh, but when it came time to decide, you know, who which NPC to go talk to first, I would go, I would want to go talk to the one that would benefit Larengar's goals the most first. And then because it was the first time that I would speak for the session or because it was the first time that uh, Larengar would have input on a decision they took it with a lot of weight, and that was kind of a cool, um, a cool thing. And the party dynamic just worked out so well with those with those particular characters and those players. I I remember a very specific interaction between uh, Larengar and an NPC, where uh, the cleric was talking to the NPC, and then everyone went to sleep. And I believe it was Larengar that goes. Now that the people that think they're in charge are asleep, we're going to have a talk. That was actually... Oh, that was the other way around, That was the it? other way around, yeah. Okay. Oh. That was, that was the other way around. That Which, does. of course, like, would normally be perceived as a slight against uh, the party and, of course, Larengar himself. Yeah. And Larengar was a very proud man, too. Yeah, yeah. That was part of his character. He was, even though he was crippled, even though he uh, was not physically up to a standard... Um, he was very intelligent, very calculating, and held himself with quite a bit of pride. And that was uh, ultimately one of the things that I had planned for him to overcome as the campaign continued. But yeah, just a lot of pride. The classic, I, like I said, I wanted... High, high elf wizard. I wanted to be generic, but I wanted to be unique. So like, you have to play into cliches in a positive way. Oh yeah, and cliches, they're, they're cliches for a reason. because they're... They're very popular. They're reliable. Exactly. They're reliable. Yeah, and sometimes you got to play into that cliche. Exactly. So, what was what was the first thought when you started, I guess, making Larengar? What was your your image of him? When, my, when you first thought. My first thoughts was they were, uh, wow, I get to play D anD. D. That's good? right. You you made your character last because you let everybody else pick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't. I wanted to just fill whatever role I could. I was just happy to be playing D&D. And I made, like I said, a relatively generic character. I wanted to be primarily support because I wanted a character who did everything from the back lines. Um, and it may just come from my, my experiences as a dungeon master. I don't crave the spotlight because when you're the dungeon master, you have the spotlight 24-7. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to do was go into a game and take the spotlight from, yeah. from other, other players. So. Uh, more or less, I just wanted to cultivate a fun experience for everyone around me while also getting to, you know, play on the other side of things for once. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a very good way to look at it, because a lot of people tend to have the, the D&D thing. I know, I know I do, where, you know, I'm the main character, things should kind of center more around me. And it's hard to, as someone who's not an experienced DM, kind of be like, well, it's not always about me. And, and that, I think that's a person thing as well. People, yeah. people like to be the center of attention. They like to be the hero. They like to do the cool things and be have the acolytes. Yeah. So, 
What was what was Larangar's motivation for things? He he came in, we see him, we started, you know, in a tavern, you guys had done a few quests or whatnot, and you were what was what was his goal for adventuring? Uh easily it was power. But I like I said, uh, take these generic themes, these cliche themes, but then add a little bit of spice to it because he was not he didn't seek power for um his own personal gain per se. Larengar was an avid believer in um, Agma, the god of knowledge okay. and magic. And so he believed that by appeasing this god, he would unlock secrets uh, kind of exclusive to only the highest tier of uh, the clerics of Agma or Ogrim. Or whatever it's called in the actual book, I I forgot. Yeah, so just just effectively trying to to gain this grant knowledge. Yeah, it's definitely for knowledge. Uh, him being an evil character, of course, it would further his own his own need for power because of his crippled form. Uh, finding, you know, being becoming more powerful would kind of bridge the gap between himself and the other people who, uh, like I said earlier would just walk by him and not give him a second thought okay was there was there like an end goal to this power besides just gaining this ultimate knowledge was he was he going to just use it for something or was it just for him to hoard to have like because you get those wizards who just hoard knowledge they don't want to share they just want to collect and collect mm -hmm. uh it's kind of tough to say. I didn't really think about it that much because I know through the structure of campaigns it wouldn't have gotten to a point where he could uh, get yeah, to that and area, Curse but... of Strahd is uh, designed in a way to be uh, you don't get what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. And I understood that going into it. So like that's why I made the character so flawed in the first place is because yeah. like, I wanted him to fit the world. Yeah. Uh, and if you're thrusted into this apocalyptic... Uh, just gloom and doom. Yeah, every every realm. every ten steps is some horror waiting yeah, for yeah. you. This, this demi plane of the shadow fell. It's you. You have to go in with a grain of salt because half the time your character is not going to live, and even if they do, they never get what they want. And yeah. that's why I wanted Larengar to be who he is because. Regardless if he gets what he wants or if he doesn't, he, the search for power is always there. So there was no real end goal. I didn't create the character with that in mind. Okay. Um, I created him with. He wanted to survive primarily. He did. He did very well at that. Yeah. A lot of his spell choices were made in the effort of uh, cowardice. Yeah, and he. He walked away from a lot of things with very few scratches, unless he was unfortunately unlucky in yeah. certain situations. Yeah, well, that happens. That's a game where you roll dice. Yeah, exactly. It's gambling without any real consequences. Yeah. So when when you when you think Larangar, what is a moment that stands out to you that you just go that that's a Larangar moment? Um. I think it was just me being in my immersion into the universe. I think that was that was like all of the big Larengar moments were not moments that were significant to any other character because the moments that were important to me were like when we saw a ghost for the first time and I freaked out or the when we would see a dead body Larengar would throw up and like be That's disgusted. Right. Like he just there were things that were so minuscule that other players honestly wouldn't take note about it because other characters, and like I said, this is no fault of the players. A lot of players fall into these tropes or, you know, they, they play it like a video game with a lot of detachment from their characters. And so I just wanted to make a character that kind of fit in the world. Yeah. That felt because, real lived in. Yeah. I remember the, the, the dwarf was like eating wood and stuff and sustaining himself that way. And, uh, there was the, the, the cleric who not once prayed at all for anything. Nope. As soon as he got there, he gave up what he said was his religion. Yeah, yeah. But, like, uh, one of the big things for me is I made it a point that every night Larengar would pray. He's a very devout follower. Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was very timid. He was scared of a lot of things. He didn't... He, 
uh, hated conflict. He was a character that just didn't belong there, and you knew he didn't belong there where all the other players were like, yeah, we're here, let's kill stuff, let's, let's get you, you did a great way of, of, of portraying that because when... When conflict or something happened, he didn't necessarily back down. He, he he stood there with pride. But when it got down to it, he did, you know, like the coward of spells. He'd get out of there or he'd fly yeah, up. Yeah. And, but he, as far as like pride went, he didn't back down. Yeah, yeah. If it was a conversation and there was no like inclination it would get violent, he definitely would not back down. But as soon as violence would happen, uh, yeah, first mode is to run away. Let let the other guys deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's not Larnagar's place. He's a cripple, right? Like he's not going to... He's going to do everything in his power to stay as far away from that conflict as possible. Yeah, and again, that was portrayed just so well. A man, a very proud man, but his pride will not go over his life. Exactly. That's that's the thing. Uh, above all else, Larangar has always survived, and he will always survive. Yeah. So, your character had a few unique things happen to him during uh, the Curse of Strahd campaign. Uh, unfortunately, the campaign had what I would call a very unsatisfied conclusion. Uh, That's the destiny of most campaigns. Yes. Uh, this one was player cost, which is, I, I, I'm assuming, probably also another very common thing. More than I'd like to say, but <laughs> definitely true. Uh, one player takes the takes a huge fall or basically commands a situation that all the other players end up falling out. Um, not to say that like the player's had any negative context in that it's not like we got into a big fight and then the game ended or whatever yeah uh, in real life but in game one player kind of made a decision that 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 ended that, the campaign yeah but um so how do you feel he changed as the campaign went on um because because again some things happened he um, one of my things that sticks in my man, mind is is the broom incident, mostly because it was a very funny moment, and right. it it went it kind of I felt it showed that in this world Larangar doesn't know everything, because him being so knowledgeable and very proud, he to to me he seemed like he projected that he knows best or he knows right. a lot. Right. Yeah. There there was a lot of that, and being the intelligent one that he was, he did take the role of like. If there was a problem that needed a solution um, that involved not hitting things, he was the first they went to. And so it definitely was a lot of the... And I guess, like, pertaining to the broom incident... Uh, let, let's give some context to the broom yeah. incident. So uh, in Curse of Strahd, there is the Death House, which is uh, recommended... It, it says recommended. I don't know why, because it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. Uh intro to get your characters from level one to level three they go into a house they do the house they go to the dungeon that's down below and by the time they get out to level three while going through the house there's a broom closet that has a broom in there uh it's actually an animated broom that will attack the players when they get within five feet of it so they open the door and they've seen animated armor and stuff and someone goes what if the broom is alive and i believe Larangar goes don't be stupid this isn't a fairy tale Correct. And then the broom comes alive. Yeah, and then attacks. And uh, the rolls were pretty decent. It And Larangar had the lowest hit points out of the entire group. I think he had like yeah. six because he had a very yeah, low con. I, did, I intentionally left his con low because I wanted him to be afraid of So her. that broom did a number on him. Yeah. But that that's the moment we we're referring to. Yeah, so in context of that, of course I read the book. Yeah, you I, knew. I ran I ran Curse of Strahd multiple times, so I, I knew that the broom was alive. Yeah. And I know that one of the other players at the table was going to metagame it, and so that's why they said, you know, what if the broom's alive? Um, and so me being... And this is just, like, from one dungeon master to another, it's always a kind courtesy to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Because you have to take the perspective of the characters. And that's one that's one of the it's the small things that cultivate into Larangar's character. You say like Larangar moments, that was a Larangar moment. Yeah. Because ingrained in the world, opening this dusty closet that no one's been in for a hundred years, yeah. or at least it looked like, um, and then seeing a few things uh just in this yeah, just, just regular space, household items. Re regular household items. There's no reason logically to think that somebody would have enchanted that broom to be alive. 
Yeah. Right? Because it would have to have a purpose. And Larengar would think that, especially enchanting a broom unless you were cleaning something, which obviously it wasn't being cleaned. Yeah, exactly. there was no reason for it to be animated. So, of course, he was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, which was my way as a player to another player to say, hey, like, you know, indirectly, uh, I'm not going to metagame this. Yeah. And then it just corresponded that, you know, it was in fact alive, comes to life, and then attacks Larengar. That's just funny. That's great writing. Yeah. It, it, was, it, was, it was very interesting. And again, it's the, the fact that Larengar being very intelligent mm-hmm. and, and proud. And, and proud that he's the one who got a consequence of that. Yeah. Which, I fa- which was, I guess, kind of ironic as well. Yeah, yeah, it's the irony there, for sure. And, like, of course I saw it coming, and if you had have attacked anyone else with that broom, I would have been slightly disappointed. Uh, I wasn't going to do that. Because it always has to be the person that mentions it. Yeah, the, the person who calls it out. Yeah, because the person, it's, you either attack me or the person who said, what if the broom's alive? Yeah. But it's much more appropriate to, to get the person that doubts the broom is alive. Oh yeah. It yeah. it's 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 just better. And it, it yeah, again that, that was one of the highlights fantastic. of the campaign in my opinion. Yeah. From it's, a dungeon master perspective, it's always it's always these great storytelling moments where you say, Oh, the timing, perfect. And as and like like I said, Lauren Gar being his his knowledge of the world's mm-hmm. uh subverted expectations, not what they were. Yeah, yeah. Uh how how do you think he coped with that, where things here weren't as logical as they were in the outside world? Uh, very easily, he would adapt. Larengar, if anything, adapted to the world very easily, um, because that's what he's always done, is he plays the background till it's time to come forward and do what he has to do to, to survive or to escape or whatever it is he has to do to, you know, get to the get to the end goal, whatever that was, which at the time was just, like, survive and get out of this Yeah, try, trying to find a way to escape. Yeah, get, get out of this place. Barovia. Uh, and there was, a, there was a moment where uh, Larengar gets possessed by one of the ghosts of the children, which is part of the quest of the house, mm-hmm. where he had a personality shift. Right. Which uh, I thought, again, you did very well. And I thought, uh, given the child that had possessed you, when this child possesses you... Uh, you don't take orders from anyone, and you don't want to be. You don't like being told what to do. Yeah, and that was a very, and it was, it was a very good timing too, because you'd had an encounter right before that with the with the ghost. Yeah, which did a lot of damage. And speaking of the ghost, uh, the ghost had done uh, uh, a lot of necrotic damage to mm-hmm. you, which wouldn't be healed until a long rest. Right, and you did a great job of not metagaming that, and also Larengar wouldn't have known that as well. Yeah. So yeah. you had you had the cleric try to heal you. Yeah, absolutely. I begged for healing on the ground like like a small child, as you would if you were dying. Yes. Uh, especially if you're a coward. Yeah, you had like two hit points. Yeah, yeah. I begged for healing, and when he healed me, nothing happened. And then, of course, he's disgusted because he knew that would happen, and me, I'm like, what? why isn't this working? Yeah. And so it's just one of those things where, um, take it from the perspective of the level of the characters as well, um, yep. I believe from his from Larengar's backstory, what I had what I had gotten, which was very generic, like he had, yeah, very he had just been tampering with magic and then uh, ended in an accident where he blew himself up. That's why he's that's why he's crippled. Yeah, and he's been trying to achieve that level of power um, since that occurred, which ultimately, as we played the campaign, he did get back there and was much more confident in his ability to control the magic. Uh, but more or less, from the level of the character, he there's no way he would have known something like that about necrotic damage, yeah. right? And I opted to not make that uh, that check either, because that seems like it's a little metagamey. But from that point forward, it gave me the excuse that whenever something ethereal would attack us, that I could be like, okay, can I make a history check or a nature check or something yeah. along those lines in order to try and tell if this damage is healable. Yeah. And that was that was great. Yeah. And then uh, back to when we were originally talking about the ghost possessing you, uh, it was it was very fortuitous that you got the one that says, I don't like to take orders. Yeah. Because the group wanted to move on, but yeah. you had two hit points. So your character dug his heels in and says, no, I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. Which was was very lucky for you guys, because had that right. had that been someone else, they'd have been like, "Oh yeah, sure, we'll just go on." 
and you would have gotten to the hardest part of that dungeon. Mm -hmm. So what was it, I guess, what was it like trying to make that tonal shift for Lorengar from being a uh, very proud in the back kind of character to suddenly, oh, no, it's about me. I don't, you can't tell me what to do. Right, right. He went from not making any, like I said before, whenever they were, were debating on which hallway to go down for 20 minutes, I just followed because that's what my character does in a stressful situation. Uh, he observes, he follows, and then ultimately he escapes. Whereas when it comes to uh, that decision, that one would very much, you know, he would be a lot more cautious but be willing to go because he doesn't want to front to the, he doesn't want to be an affront to the party. Uh, but when you said I was possessed by that, I wanted to make um, specific things. Like, it's all part of that immersion, right? Because it's really easy for a lot of players to just say, I'm not going to abide by this new roleplay rule because I have an idea for my character and no one's going to tell me how to play him differently. Yeah. Especially so early in the campaign. Um, but... I know that it's important for the world and I know it's important for the character to like go through that. So when the option, when an option, especially beneficial to Larengar, uh, popped up where they were like, we need to go on. But Larengar was like, no, I want to stay. Uh, which was both out of character for him, appropriate for the situation and also beneficial for the party. So yeah. The, par like, the party itself needed a little break. Yeah. It was, it was just a, it was a great way um, for me to kind of combine all three. Additionally, from a Dungeon Master perspective, it's really easy to throw in those elements of roleplay because yeah. I'm so used to suspending all of my characters to the whim of the players anyway. Okay. That, like, when your PC is uh, basically taken over or given the will of some other entity, be it the DM or otherwise, I'm perfectly fine with it. Yeah, and then and again, uh, you, you you take it all in stride, and you do it all so well. But I want to move on to like uh, another encounter that happened in the campaign um, at the church, where mm -hmm. you go downstairs, you find a vampire spawn. Mm -hmm. uh, he ends up escaping, and mm -hmm. you're one of the first people to give chase. Granted, your movement speed is is cut in half. It was like a fifteen or a ten. Yeah, it was bad, it, and it was designed that way. Yeah. Uh, did you regret that decision as you were trying to give chase to this spawn that was being let loose upon the village? Um, I want to say yes, I did. Well, yes and no. Yes, I regretted it because, of course, had I've had full movement speed, I could have just moved up to him, casted a spell, moved up to him, casted a spell. Yep. But because my movement was so tarnished, I couldn't do that, um, which means now we just release this vampire in the village for no reason with, like, you know, yes. whatever happens next is in the wind. So, uh, but it's also extremely appropriate because there's no way Larengar should be able to catch up to this entity, right? Yeah. So And not, even if he did, had he, had he turned to fight? Yeah, had he have turned to fight, Larengar's first instinct would be to run. Yeah. So it's... I think I think it was like a... It was a Larengar moment. He was too slow to catch this this thing. So I, 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 I remember down. the description going, I chase after him, uh, I get 15 feet, I'm out of air, I lean up against the wall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll let everyone else chase him if they want to, but... Like I know it's impossible for Larengar to catch up to this, to this, uh, yeah. to the vampire spawn. Um, and is uh, before I get to my next one, is Larengar a naturally trusting person? He would have you believe that. Okay, so he likes to give off the perception that he's very trusting and welcoming. Yeah. Well, okay. he, if there's benefit in it for him, he will trust you. But there's no guarantee that he's actually going to follow through with anything he says. Because uh, I'm going to bring up when we added a new character to the game, mm -hmm. uh, Philippe, uh, played by Willie. Mm -hmm. A very nice, very loving, compassionate mm -hmm. druid. Yeah. Uh, Larengar did not trust him from the get-go. That is a character... Okay, so Larengar, and like I said, very in the immersion of the world, right? Which means, especially in this Shadowfell, if some... Uh, very kind, very happy, very loving druid comes out of the mist and says, oh, I'm here to help. After everything we've experienced up to that point, there's no way. Only bad things have come from the mist, and only uh, delusion is, like, 
only these delusional people are happy here. Because every entity that we had met up to that point as well was miserable, absolutely miserable. And, and soulless for the most part. Yeah, except for the gypsies or the... Uh, the people who ate the uh, pastries that made them incredibly baked. Yeah, yeah, they're not gypsies, they're... Uh, the Vistani. Vistani. But they're modeled after gypsies. Yes. So, yeah. The Vistani, they were um, the only happy entities in the world at the time. So, like, when this guy comes out of the mist and he's just so willing to help and so ready... I know from a player perspective that I can trust him and that I can, you know, that's why he was allowed to just walk amongst the party and yeah. help us. With some, some, uh, yeah, what's it called? Uh, uh, I can't think of the word, but just, uh, allowing them, just suspending your disbelief. That's, what yeah, I, yeah, that's the word I was looking yeah. for. Gotta suspend this is suspension of, uh, belief because. You know it's a player at the table, so you have to metagame that. You yeah. have to. There are elements in Dungeons & Dragons that you have to metagame. That is one of them. Whenever somebody new comes up, you can't just be like, oh, this is a new person? Well, my character believes that XYZ, you know. Because Largar didn't trust him, but I wasn't going out of my way to kill him or sabotage him or yeah. ruin, ruin his fun at the table. Yeah. So you can you can have these contrasting character ideals without... Making it a miserable experience for people. So yeah, I think Lauren Gar had a uh, a positive a positive negative interaction with that character. Oh yeah, because uh, it was it was mentioned no, uh, a couple of times. Uh, he's too nice. Yeah, he's no, too no nice. one's that nice. No one's that nice. They he woke up every morning with a smile on his face, um, with you know scars all over his body, his clothes tattered, were covered in mud and filth. We've been walking this trail for days, encounter after encounter. We're just getting our butts handed to us, and he's just having the greatest time. Just, in, just, just happy to be here. He's just happy to be here. And for me, no, uh, absolutely not. Or when I say for me, I mean for Lauren Gar, absolutely yeah. not. He was not about that at all. I loved it. Oh, it was. I thought it was. I thought it was a great interaction, and I thought the yeah. fact that. He was so upbeat, really contrasted. What I would describe as Larangar's very serious, doom and gloom attitude. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because Larangar entertained no illusions of where he was or what was going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that's just part of like the immersion thing, too, because I wanted a character that was believable. Because uh, I remember, I think only myself and the cleric had any kind of real um, reservations about where we were. Whereas yeah. the fighter was just like, dude, I'm here to kill stuff, get loot, I don't care where I am. Yeah. And and you and because Larangar because he had the uh the I guess the knowledge to understand what had happened and where he was. And yeah. the cleric for the fact that he feels that disconnect from his God. Yeah. Because in the book, you know, gods can't reach into this plane. Yeah. So an another thing that I want to bring up is the gold situation that we had. Mm. That that I had no idea what to do with. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, for those who weren't at the table, uh, why don't you explain what you did and, uh, and, and and why it was unfair? So, as the conjuration wizard, you can craft anything uh, out of any physical material, non-magical, of course, that is up to five foot wide. So I could create like fake gold. Yes. That was real gold. Until an hour, and then it would disappear. And that that is a core thing that the Conjuration Wizard ha has access to. And so I w was trying to use it to buy things from the merchant. And, and he's he was too greedy and too dumb to know a difference. No, because he didn't accept the gold. He didn't, didn't trust us. Yeah. But uh, well, and, and mechanically in the book, they're supposed to have like straw's face, but that's. That I, I chalked that up to my inexperience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like from a new dungeon master, I don't blame you for saying like, "Hold on, we can't really, we can't really do that." Can't, can't game the system. Yeah, I can't game the system like that. I understand it. Um, personally, in my games, I would let it slide because, of course, like I let the players get away with literal murder all the time. Yeah. So it's something that I personally believe that, like, if the players have access to it, just let them do it. Yeah. But I understand why you wouldn't want that to break the 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 hardcore aspect of Curse of Strahd because it's supposed to be a difficult experience and when your player can just literally create gold at will and then give it to people as a trick and then take their stuff and leave and then not have to care. Yeah. It Well, cuz they're not going to chase after you out of town. Yeah, it's very it's, it's, it's very difficult dangerous. to to try and 
play with that system. You know what I mean? Cause yeah, it it is very it's super gamey. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I, I I I I had to devise a way of how to deal with it, and that took an entire week of me thinking up. Um, which brings me to the next kind of interaction that had happened, where you ran into uh, envoys of Strahd who told you effectively not to do that. Yeah, yeah. Which I understood that was you telling me as the player, don't do that. Yeah. Uh, which I, I got, and then I didn't do it anymore. But, yeah. Like I think I think it's extremely appropriate um, to play that game. You know what I mean? Like oh, it's, yeah. it's important that you set the expectation for the players, and then like for from me uh to you because i remember i wasn't that upset that the merchant didn't take the gold oh but but peyton was livid peyton is someone who's going to be on the podcast later and he is a character all his own yeah yeah he he won't be talking about this campaign because he hates curse of straw he played it six times though yeah he keeps coming back he's a glutton for punishment but more or less he just he he was not about it uh i remember he was very upset with you specifically, which yep. is like when you set that ground rule that that was something that you weren't going to allow. Well, he's he's a very firm believer. If the book says that you can do it, you should allow it. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of things like that's that's where we go through uh, rules as written versus rules as intended. Yeah, which are two very separate r- rule sets. Oh, hundred percent. And, and some then, of them are very they're the rules as written and then intended tend to they seem like very different rules. Yeah, like completely yeah. different rules sometimes. Absolutely. But how was how was the interaction with uh, Escher and those other vampires? Because then, as opposed to facing just monsters when you first came here, mm-hmm. you're facing something of of genuine intelligence and, and a genuine seat of power mm-hmm. that has a little more dominion over the area. So how right. how did Larengar approach that? Uh, because I believe when um, you first met them, you Larengar believed it was Strahd. Yeah, absolutely. Because he hears some blood-sucking fiend, some demon from, from hell itself is, <laughs> is feeding on the land. So when this vampire shows up, I'm like, oh, this is the guy. This is the dude. Right? And, like, of course, and I go back to it all the time, I read the book. I know what's in the book. I know who these characters are. Yeah. But Larengar does not. So he he makes the assumption that this is, like, the important person. And so he immediately tries to make a deal or, like, you know, try and negotiate with these people. Because Larengar is not delusional about his place, like you said. He knows exactly what it is. So he's just trying to get out. Yeah. However that can be arranged. Um, but he handled it like he would any other pol- political situation. He would simply listen and if there was input needed, he'd give it. But you know, through through the lens that if he can get something from it, he'll he'll be way way more willing to engage. Yeah, and I, I feel there was a bit of cheekiness on my part where um, I specifically phrased things in a way that did not disprove he was in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you like my home, or what do you what do you think of my land, or things like that? He'd say, you know, his home, things like that. That. That helped emphasize that, one, he lives here, but can also be interpreted, this is his. It's all his. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Uh, that's why, you know, Largar was so willing to believe that he was, like, the big fish. Yeah. And then, you know, you leave the town, you meet Philippe, you travel some more, you get a few things. And then we get to a very big pivotal moment, I think, and what I feel was pretty important for what happened to Largar. You get to... Old Bone Mill, which is the windmill where the hags are that make uh, the dream pastries out mm-hmm. of children's bones. You have the encounter there. Uh, I 100% pulled punches because, again, new DM, I wasn't willing to kill my players at the time. Yeah. So you guys get through that. You get to the top, and you actually meet Strahd. Yeah. And then... You know, there was some conversating. Uh, mm-hmm. There were a few things that happened. Um, biggest of which was him growing back your arm, as in some what I felt was a sick, twisted power play. Yeah, it was definitely uh, big dicking the player, for sure. Yeah. Which is 100% what Strahd would do. Like, just show, flexing his power over the universe, you know, over his surroundings. And, uh that was definitely a pivotal character moment because I remember thinking 
how Larengar would feel about this new development, right? Because on one hand, he has his arm back. That's he's literally twice as capable uh, physically than he was before. So that's a good thing. But the way he came about it was not through his own means. It wasn't through the means of his faith. It wasn't through the means of his allies. It was literally just because uh, some entity wanted to prove he had more power over Larengar than Larengar. So I, I remember uh, that we... There was a scene where I, where we were kind of like going to go into the next traveling day, and I was like, well, hold on, I want to explain something. And I said, Larengar comes out of the room, and he has bandages on, the, on his new arm. Yep. Because he had contemplated uh, cutting it off, because, like... And that was something that was entirely in the, the player perspective and was not relevant thereafter for the rest of the campaign. Yeah. It was... It was something, it was just a side note, but it really, I think, for me, fulfilled a character, a character thing that, like, he didn't want the arm. At least not from Strahd, he didn't yeah. want the arm. So, in amidst the night, he actually tried to cut it off, and then halfway through it, he realized he was too weak to do it. And so, he would just, instead of trying to reject it, uh, would use it as an instrument of Strahd's destruction. Yeah. And so you like, made was... you made a bunch of uh, talismans that had uh, warding runes on them. Yeah, that you gave to the party. Yeah, and then also in that interaction with Strahd, he ended up killing one of the party members, mm-hmm. uh, the rogue halfling. Yep. So did that? How did that affect Larengar? I mean, he wasn't like he wasn't like super close to the group because he seemed kind of detached from them. That, that was Larengar's trusted confidant. He, that oh, was, that's right. That was his he, best. He murdered his, you. You sent him to kill people. Yep, that was my that was Larengar's best friend. Uh, in a sense, right? Larengar is is proactively a very lonely person, and he lives yeah. in that element on purpose. It's intentional, and when he. Uh, when his friend died, when he was killed by Strahd, it, it uh, definitely affected Larengar in ways that the party didn't really see. But I tried from that point forward to be a little bit closer to the party because there was no feeling of security behind this. This uh, almost, He was almost a familiar. Yeah, which you did also have a familiar too. I did. You I had did. two. In fact, I did. But yeah, it was it was one of those things where I really uh, it affected Larengar, but in a passive way. It was like the arm thing, yeah. You know, where I would make a, a comment here and there about it. Yeah, you know? it, w- it was the internal struggle. Yeah, and even I even told two people after that point that they had nice shoes. Yes, I, I so, remember that, and I remember looking at you going, oh my god, is he going to take their shoes? Because that's what the rogue did. He'd kill people, and then he'd take their shoes. Yeah, well, we had, a, we had a phrase, which was, I would say, you have nice shoes. And then... He would kill he them and would, take that, their shoes. That's the cue to kill them and take their shoes. Yes. You, you did that to a number of people, including the priest in Barovia. Correct. That's because he was an evil man. Uh, he, was, he was an ignorant he, man. He was, he was evil for the sense of being evil. Not for any other reason, right? Um, not Larengar, but the, the priest. Yeah, the priest, the priest just locked his son in the basement and just prayed for him he, to yeah, get Yeah, he made, he made horrible decisions. And, like, Larengar is evil, but he... he there's lawful. a purpose to it. Yeah, there's a purpose to it. And Larengar's not going to go out of his way to just be this... Uh, this entity of hopelessness that the priest had become. And so, like, through his hopelessness and through his... His uh, sheer ignorance, Larengar had decided that the world was better off without him. Yeah. I I remember that being a moment where you and the rogue had made that decision. And some of the party members were like, oh, I stay back with them. And we had to effectively enforce, no, you leave with everyone else because you don't know what's going on. Right, right. And that's, that's another thing, like... Just due to your inexperience and then some of the players at the table, there's a lot of, like, metagaming going on and stuff, yeah. so... That's fine. That's part of the game, right? Not... 
you're not gonna have these high performing tables where everyone is super immersed. You're not gonna have these. Oh no. Yeah, it's it, no, it's. I'm 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 looking for a good time. Yeah, you're just you're mostly there to have fun. So like these things happen, but uh, it is it was very important for you there to be like yeah, you can't really metagame that. Yeah. Because, because it was it, it, it is important to the characters and it, yeah. it generally affected the world. Mm -hmm. And that's also that's a good DMing practice, and I encourage other DMs to do that as well. Is have your players not afraid to discuss stuff at the table. Yeah. Right. Your players should be able to confidently discuss all of their personal character plans at the table, and not have the fear of other characters sabotaging them or. Um, yeah. Breaking their immersion because you as the dungeon master have the power to say, no, there's no way your character would know about that. And yeah. they're like, oh, uh, would I would I be able to research that because of XYZ reasons? You say, I'm, I'm not going to allow that because, you know, your intention is to sabotage this plan. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes you just have to put your foot down. And that, I mean, at the end of the day, you're all friends. Yeah. It's fine. It's a tabletop game. Everyone will yeah, be there's fine. Yeah, no, there's no real consequences. It's, it's so, yeah. It's just meant you, to be a good social gathering. Yeah, yeah. If you have reasonable, um, like if they have a reasonable amount of evidence to start investigating against another player's actions, then that's perfectly fine. Uh, but player versus player should be trying avoided. You know, should be avoided as much as possible. Yeah, but yeah. That was a that was a good uh, step for you to get in there and say like, nah. Yeah, and I've. Personally, I've 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 improved as far as taking control of the table, but that is a topic for another day. Yeah. So we've discussed the changes Larangar has made, the, the the growing of the arm, the losing of a friend, mm. and then uh, we get to say Zvalki, where he meets the corrupt Burgo master, who's always mm. like, everything's got to be happy, everybody's got to smile, mm -hmm. and then you know the church and a, a handful of other things. What is out of all of the things that have happened to Larengar, what is something that actually was a highlight for him? Something that he thinks back fondly? Because a lot of time we've talked about the bad things that have happened, but there has to be something he looked forward to, something that helped motivate him. Larengar was an unhappy person. <laughs> uh, and he was made that way intentionally, right? Yeah. Because I... For the world. Yeah, I wanted a character that was believable in the world. And, like, you spend three weeks in this hellscape where everything tries to kill you, nobody's happy, and it it, it does something. You know, you, you, he lost his best friend. Uh, he, he effectively, um, he's surrounded by people he can't really trust. And then uh, this vampire shows up and big dicks him and shows him how weak he is, even though he's gone through so much tribulations and gotten so powerful from where he started that, it, you know, it still feels fruitless. So, yeah, he was just, he was unhappy. The only thing that made him happy was progression in in the fact that, like, there was there were small seeds that alluded to a possible escape. Yeah. Those were the only things that he looked forward to. Yeah, so the, the, the gaining more power in himself and that. Mm. Okay. Uh, uh, I guess helping the little girl. Yes, Arabella. Yeah, helping the little girl gave him some satisfaction. Yes. Uh, you guys uh, brutally murdered the fisherman who tried to drown her, though. Yeah. 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 That, uh, he needed to die. Yeah. So, another important thing that I did want to bring up is Lorengar had, what was important to him, a scroll that he couldn't quite decipher. Yes. Did you did you just pick it to be a scroll that he couldn't decipher, or did you actually have something that you were hoping it would be? It's actually a one of the character background things that I just rolled for. Because Larengar was uh, pre-generated through rolls yeah. using the, um, I believe it's in Xanthar's. Okay. Where you just kind of roll for stuff, and you know the character traits in the backgrounds in the yep. in the book. You can just roll for things. And yeah, like your trinkets them, or whatever. Yeah, one of them was the, uh, like, a scroll that you have yet to decipher. And I think it's literally just that. And so it was such an important part of his character because it was so meaningless. Yeah. That's that's what made it important is is the fact, and I, I keep saying it, Larengar was not an important character. He was not a force in the world. He was the most faceless, uh, cripple, you know, proud elf that there was yeah and so him being obsessive over the scroll that was quite literally a meaningless trinket uh was 
just part of the character. It was just part of the immersion, right? Because all the other characters were fascinated with it. They wanted to know what was inside. And, yeah. Like, I could show them, but they wouldn't understand it because I didn't understand it. Yeah. And because there's no mechanics to understand it. So the whole thing is, like, it's it's meaningless. Yeah. He has he has the uh, the dragon scroll. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 Blake. It means nothing it's, to anyone. It's anything. you. It's me. That's exactly what it is. It's It was Larengar. Uh, I can tell you what I had planned for it, because in that interaction with Strahd, he pulled out a similar scroll. Yes. Um, what I had planned is that together, uh, you decipher that scroll, he has his scroll. Uh, you know, you could have gone through and gotten it. Uh, it would have allowed you to contact beings, the great beings of the Shadowfell, to negotiate with them for something. Perfect. Because I, I thought that was very thematic. Yeah. Um... And how, how would how would Larangar we'll, we'll say we'll skip to the end. Uh, you you beat Strahd, you get the scroll. Yeah. Uh, you decipher it, and then uh, you can contact these beings from Shadowfell. What what would Larangar have negotiated for? I mean, he you beat Strahd, so you can leave anyway. So what would exactly he again negotiate for if he could have like negotiate for everything? Uh, the answer to that is nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He would hold that in his back pocket. Uh, until it would become relevant far in the future. Larengar is a very calculating individual. And, okay. like, at the time, of course, like, he wouldn't trust it. Oh. Even if he had the ability to communicate with these entities from the Shadowfell, he wouldn't do it in the Shadowfell. Where they're the most powerful, where yeah. they have the most influence, no. Only a fool would do that. Uh, Larengar's no fool. Larengar was not a fool. Uh, which... Doesn't mean that he was perfect. He made mistakes because I, the player, make mistakes. I'm not as smart as Larengar is. So, yeah. Larengar was a character that was uh, kind of fulfilling an intellectual fantasy of being like the smartest one in the room, but also being the weakest. Yeah. So, uh, I guess, I guess, let's, let's, let's hypothesize. Way into the future. Just, just hypothetical, if he could. What would he even ask for? Like more, more knowledge, some secret things of the Shadowfell. Depending on his development through the campaign, right? Because Larengar had two ways to go. He could have been uh, there were there were scenes where he would protect people and do things kindly, um, mostly because it benefited him. But like there was like the girl, it did not benefit him to go out there. Did not benefit him to help her back to yeah. where she belonged. Did, did nothing about that interaction helped him. Um, even in the the slight you know possibility that her family is thankful and gives us something yep it's not it was not something Larengar had in mind right he saw a helpless girl and he wanted to help uh, he saw like a straggler and wanted to help things like that um, but innately he is a greedy person uh, he is evil by nature and I think. Ugh. Going back to the question, excuse me, I digress. Oh no, it's okay. Lauren would have asked for something incredibly pointless, I think. Uh, he would have asked more for information than anything. I remember he was on a quest to try and track his brother's footsteps. He might have just simply asked where his brother was. Right? Something like that. Uh, speaking of which, that was another thing I had planned. Uh, I was going to have uh, once you guys got to Ravenloft, you would have found your brother chained up in the dungeon. Oh, that solves that problem, huh? Yeah, it does. Uh, either dead or a vampire. I hadn't decided at the time. Okay. Which, again, I I, I was going to hopefully incorporate someone personal from the chosen characters outside world. Yeah. Which was why they were chosen. You know, they, yeah. That's how Strud learned about you and specifically sought you out. Right. Because both, of course, me and my sibling, and it was in my backstory, uh, I believe it was a, it was quite literally something along the lines of, like, you were competing with a family member for the, for... Yeah, the, the prestige family, of the house. Family, yeah, yeah, for the prestige of the house or something. Uh, and it intentionally says that you're losing that battle. Yeah. So, uh, following in my, my brother's footsteps in order to try and accomplish all these tasks, of course, um... That would have been something on the list is to like find him and then discuss, you know, family business. But as far as the shadow fell, ugh. If that was the plan for his brother, I have no idea what he would ask for. Yeah. Because like 
asking for power is beyond him. He doesn't he doesn't want anything given to him, which is why he even attempted to cut off that arm when it was yeah. given to him by Strahd. He's, he's far him. too proud to be given yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. He wants to earn it himself, and that comes from his his greed and his pride. He wants to say that he stood on top with nobody's help. Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. That really fits the character. Yeah. So, uh, before we ended, I got one last question. Would you bring Larangar back to a different game? Absolutely. 100%. Larangar was one of my favorite characters uh, that I had the, the pleasure of playing with, and it's definitely what we had discussed before the podcast is like why, why I would pick Larangar in the first place. Yeah. It's because Larangar is a character that stuck with me heavily because he was, he was in my opinion... The the perfect lawful evil character that I had the ability to play. Yeah. Because he didn't steal the spotlight from anyone. Uh, he was still very useful, both in combat and out of combat. Uh, he had shining moments, and most of the roleplay was done behind the scenes. Yeah. Most of the roleplay were small, subtle things that I would allude to as the players, you know, as we just did mundane activities. And that's very satisfying to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got to be because you, uh, as a DM, you understand the whole story. So you kind of have to push a little more for the players to get it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you're the player, you can do the subtle, which is a little more satisfying. Especially if someone looks at you and goes, oh, is that because of that? And you're like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's always nice. Um to have, you know, like when I walk out with a bandage, just someone asks, like, why are you bleeding? Uh, and then, you know, Larengar, of course, every every player wants to be dark and brooding and mysterious. Yeah, the, uh, the rogue. To be like, nothing's wrong, you know. Uh, don't worry about it. But Larengar is very much like, I tried to cut it off. Yeah. And then leave it at that. And so the player is like, dang, <laughs> okay. <laughs> with, with the new books and stuff that have come out, would you change what kind of wizard he is? I think so. I think so. A conjuration is one that's definitely underutilized. And I think... I think... Uh, conjuration is underutilized, for sure. And not a lot of people kind of branch out from the primary three, which would be your divination, evocation, and... Uh... uh the name that's all right i because i know we had a similar conversation yeah we had a similar conversation about uh illusion mm -hmm. also underutilized uh, illusion's incredibly underutilized there's definitely not enough wizards taking those other other schools because everyone uh I, sh I can't say everyone a lot of people play dungeons and dragons for the combat yeah they want to play the tabletop version of um, this war game called Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So it's. I mean, me personally, I'm in it for the political intrigue. Right. I love that. Right. I love the role play. I love the world. Yeah, I'm definitely in it more for the world than anything. I, I love being part of the story in subtle ways, uh, that kind of, you know, help the world be more believable and more immersive. Yeah. But uh, so, what would you pick if you had to pick another class? Chronomancy. Or subclass. Chronomancy. It's so good. Not, not, not only is it like incredibly powerful, but it is quite literally everything his character is looking for. This forbidden knowledge, this like yeah. this extreme power that's exclusive. That's you know uh, that would give him maybe a one up on his brother. So like it's these thing. It's just it checks all the boxes, and of course anything touched. Not not, not it, but chronomancy. Yes, yes. Okay. Any anything touched by the grace of Matthew Mercer oh. is uh, automatically enhanced. Uh, so. so 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 he'd be a wizard slash blood hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a perfect world, he would he would be the wizard blood hunter. He'd uh, use his blood magic to grow another arm and attack people with it. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Something, something like prototype. Oh, good game. All right, and uh, we'll let the listeners know how that campaign ended for Larengar. Uh, <laughs> how do you how do you feel it ended? Before I explain it, I think the ending was appropriate, but the means were not appropriate. Right. I believe Largard dying in that campaign would have been incredibly appropriate to his story because he was just a yeah. generic NPC essentially. Yeah. Um, with like a few a few keynotes every now and again, but 
the memes were not well because I was killed by another player. Kind of like out of the blue, I would say. Oh, it blindsided uh, everyone. Very, very spontaneous decision that he just wanted to kill everyone. I, that, that comes from... Um, like, you very easily could have said, like, hey, let's just not do that and then yeah. gotten rid of that player, but instead we decided to just play a different campaign. Yeah, because that, that's what everyone had decided. And if everyone didn't want to play, I wasn't going to force them to. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You're just there for a good time. And ultimately at that point, too, I think a couple more people were tired of Curse of Strahd anyway. Yeah. So I, I don't want to say that it was planned because it really was. It felt like it was not planned. It was it kind not. Of, kind of very uh, the encounter was planned. What happened after the encounter? Yeah, yeah, we're all just taking it around. So down. what had happened is uh, there was an encounter that was meant to uh, eliminate one of the allies the groups was trying to get, the Dusk Elves. Uh it was meant to be... Uh, it was a fight that they technically could have won or escaped from. Uh, but things uh, did not go well. And uh, the druid turned into a badger, burrowed, what, 10 feet underground, and then burrowed away. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was knocked unconscious uh, for four hours. Mm-hmm. He came back two hours later, saw that everyone was unconscious, and the druid goes, well, they're going to come back as vampires. Obviously, I know that. So he decided to kill everyone. <laughs> yeah. Which, he, okay, he, so like, it was explained he knew how vampires were made. That you gotta bite yeah. them, you gotta bury them, you gotta do a whole ritual thing. That's that's what I'm saying. So like, it was, it was a, that was definitely a little meta. Yeah. Uh, like, he very easily could have, I, it could have gone either way. Like, yeah. It is believable that his character would assume that they were vampires because through all of the other interactions that we've had, um, that's been the case. Yeah, well, so, and in, when uh, Strahd killed the, the rogue, the cleric, and yeah. Strahd took the body, the cleric explained how vampires were made. Yes. In yes, that instance. Exactly. So, so he, he, he technically knew, but yeah. I mean, sometimes you just gotta let the chaos reign. Yeah, that's true, but I mean... And I think, I think the important thing to take away from here is Larengar was right. You shouldn't have trust Philippe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's the moral of the story. If somebody shows up out of the mist and they're too happy, don't trust them. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, uh, Larengar was right. He's always right. Yeah. If, if you have a Larengar in your party, always listen to him. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just good common sense. All right. This has been Tabletop Talk with my friend and guest, Rudy. Rudy, thank you for joining me. A pleasure to be here. It's an honor. Uh, next time, uh, I'll see who else I can get. I th- I'm thinking, I'm thinking Peyton would be an interesting one to have. Uh, and if you want to join me for that too, ask questions or things like that, you're more than welcome to. But I will catch you guys next time. <laughs>